You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to a new Rooted Discussion episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 50 of probably a not plant-related, well, somewhat plant-related episode of Rooted Discussions uh, where we get some experts from the field to really dive deep into a a particular topic. Um, Today, we're taking that deep dive into soil, which you probably don't want to actually dive into soil. Why diving not? into water is nice. <laughs> you dive into the soil, you might hurt yourself. It may be a um, soft dive. Like yeah. a, you know, it's uh, a couple of things. One, I can't believe we made it to episode 50 and mm. and not gotten canceled. Actually, it keeps surprisingly growing each week, which yeah. is amazing. Two, I know nothing about soil, so I'm glad we have the guests that we have. And I'm starting to wonder. I, I realize I'm saying this just about every episode that I know nothing about the topic. So I, I, I'm starting to really wonder what I do know about. Like, it, I was like, man, if we had a topic on like, <laughs> like uh, sports stats or food or music, I'd be like good to go. Yeah, yeah. but, but uh, none of those really revolve around no, playing. Well, I guess I, they do play music for playing sometimes. I, I, you know, I will tell you this. I do know what my 20, 20 year old doesn't know just on a quick sidebar to go back to another episode. So my 20 year old and his girlfriend were house sitting this week and they went grocery shopping and he (laughs) did not realize until they went to make the salad that they did not know the difference between cabbage and lettuce. And that's what Samuel (laughs) was saying that, that a lot of when he does education, that a lot of teenagers don't know the difference between simple food like cabbage and lettuce. Mm -hmm. And they had bought cabbage and they didn't realize until they, they went to start cutting it up that, oh, wait, this isn't, yeah. <laughs> this isn't lettuce. Yeah. And Break I got the mayo, make a little coleslaw <laughs> yeah. instead. <laughs> so, so, you know, and it's, it's funny because we always think about the basic things like, oh yeah, I, mm-hmm. I know something about this and then, or, or this person has to know something about this. And it's not necessarily always the case because you're not dealing with it all the time. So mm-hmm. we, we tend to focus on plants, but not really the soil. We yeah. want to change that because that's really the most important thing in my opinion. Yeah. And this is a, and subject friend i don't think you give yourself enough credit i think you do know a lot about a lot of things but not, um not soil <laughs> but uh sometimes you feel like you don't know as much when you surround yourself with such experts in the field That's which true. is what we're doing today um and i know we got a little bit of short time so why don't yes. we get right into it and uh stephanie i'm gonna i'm gonna start with you um and how we have a structure today is we basically have someone who's a state resource. We have someone who represents uh, uh, the overarching theme of, of soil health, and then someone who's actually doing this um, on their own farm. So Stephanie, we're going to start with you. And why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in the state of New Jersey? Okay, thanks, Tom. Um, I'm Stephanie Murphy. I um, work at Rutgers University and the New Jersey Agricultural Experiment Station. Part of, um, I'm part of Rutgers Cooperative Extension as the director of the Rutgers Soil Testing Lab. Um, so in addition to directing the activities at the laboratory, I do um, some outreach uh, directly to our clients and anyone who comes in, calls in or emails in with questions about soil. 
And I do teach an undergraduate course also here in the School of Environmental and Biological Sciences uh, in the plant biology department. Um, I have my background in more in the Midwest. I went to uh, the Ohio State University, Purdue University, uh, and Michigan State University for my PhD. So, um, but I'm glad to be in New Jersey where we have such a wide diversity of soils um, and uh, ecosystems. So and now, thanks for having me. In the oh, past when our, us or our guests have said, hey, you need to get your soil tested. This is where your soil is probably going. It's going to Stephanie or someone else in the, the soils lab for our state, as long as you're in New Jersey. Um, it's going to her and she's going to give you the report back saying this is what your soil is. So uh, Jennifer, moving on to you. Uh, and you're a, a new friend of ours. We just actually just, just really connected last week. But you're someone who's actually doing um, regenerative agriculture on your farm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we started uh, Greater Greens uh, about four years ago. It's a regenerative organic farm in Long Valley, New Jersey. So our big focus is regenerating the soil. It was a conventional corn farm when we moved on to it, literally just pancake flat, little, well, a little bit of curvature, but, um, and we've just been really working on adding, we're a vegetable row crop production. So once we set our raised beds, they basically stay intact. Um, and we grow 200 plus varieties. We grow um, a lot of perennials as well. And we have a three acre um, pollinator habitat. We're expanding that to five acres. So we do a lot with native plants and we do a lot with the soil um, just through our different farming practices to focus on regenerating it. And we launched a meal kitting company, Nutrition for Longevity, that uses that produce to um, curate dishes in a healthy way for not just um, health with the planet, with um, what we're doing with the farming, but human health as well. Which really sounds awesome. Yeah. Especially, I just stumbled across the meal kit thing when I was looking up some more information about you over the weekend. I'm like, oh, that's actually a really, really that's cool idea. idea. And it's so popular now. Um, another thing that's becoming more and more popular is that concept of regenerative agriculture, uh, which you're taking part in. And um, those of you listening, you might have heard that term before because it was featured in a, a Netflix documentary called Kiss the Ground. And that's actually where our next guest you may remember him from. Uh, Ray, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and your, your history with soil and then what you're doing now as well. Thank you, Tom. It was great to listen to Stephanie and Jennifer. Uh, I'm also a, a rancher. Uh, just recently, I, bought four, I retired in 2017 from NRCS USDA. Uh, I'm, I, ran, I ranch. I've got about 155 acre farm here in Southern Missouri in Seymour. I raise sheep and some South Pole South Pole cattle. Uh, my journey uh, started with USDA and RCS about, uh, I worked for them for about 32 years, but about seven years in um, New Mexico designing irrigation systems and livestock systems. Then got my, went to college, got my degree, uh, well, I got my degree, and then I went to graduate school for also for uh, soils. And then my first job, I landed up in the boot heel of Missouri working with rice and and can you imagine coming from the Rockies and then going there? Then I put five years in Missouri, water quality specialist, irrigation nutrients specialist, district conservationist. I've been all over the, all over, but, but the whole point, and that's not even really so much important, but the important point was 
I started having an epiphany. I knew something was absolutely wrong. And I think uh, I was noticing that farmers were going broke and the water was not getting clean. And we had spent about, you know, NRCS has been around since 1986. And extension also a very important uh, a component of agriculture is and NRCS, we're kind of supposed to work in synchrony to, you know, bring our resources and bring healing of the resources. And I noticed that wasn't happening. So really how I came to this is just humbly realizing that we were failing. And, and I felt like um, I had an epiphany that agriculture was built on the wrong premise. It was about chemistry and physics, but not biology and ecology. And, and when I went to the tech center, I started coming to that epiphany and I started pushing how incredible soil ecology was. And I, I missed it. That was not part of my fundamental education was uh, soil ecology. I took graduate level soil microbiology, but I still think we missed the point. And, and that's how I came to that epiphany, started going all over the country, showing all these demonstrations. And then I had this camera crew by mistake. I think they picked the wrong person, but they did. I, I just didn't even know them. I think I just kind of wandered through life, I think. And, these things happen, but um, I'm glad to be here today. So uh, thank you for yeah. joining us. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. And just uh, another little tidbit is uh, when we were looking to have people on this panel um, and getting names and, and I thought, oh, from the NRCS perspective, I didn't know he'd retired at the time. It's like, oh, this guy, Ray, would be great to, to join us. And I told some of our other prospective guests and they're like, oh, no way. If he's on we're not doing it because he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna make us look so cool. He's, he's the one we're learning all this stuff from. So I just want to share that as well. We, we <laughs> that is awesome. We we always try to start off with an easy question to start at the ground level for a lot of our listeners. But I looked at the question we were gonna ask, and I'm realizing maybe it's a loaded question. So as I throw it out there, I'm gonna preface it a little bit, but you may want to change the question to to better suit what the answer should be. What so. I know for us, we always tend to focus on the plant material, the native plants. And, and for the most part, I realize that a lot of gardening is done for selfish reasons. It's because it's a plant you want mm -hmm. and you do whatever you have to do to make that plant survive where you're putting it, whether it belongs there or not. And it's, it's a focus on the plant, but not really anything else. It's what you want and the plant. And we're all guilty of it. And, and we've gotten a lot better. Um, but how important just overall is soil when um, we, we talk about the plants, we don't really talk about the soil. And I realized, wow, that's a loaded question. I could go in a million different directions. So I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> and if anyone wants to start off and take that and run with it in whatever direction you think that needs to go for our listeners that maybe don't know anything about soil. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to toss it out there. <laughs> Okay, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start with that because um, at the soil testing lab, um, you know, we make recommendations uh, based on the data that we that we get from our analysis to try to um, the, the recommendations are designed to uh, optimize the soil conditions, and this is mainly chemical conditions uh, to grow whatever that particular client wants to grow. Um, and sometimes we do get the question, um, you know, is this soil suitable for growing uh, corn, for example? Um, 
And, and the, the answer is usually, well, we'll give you the recommendations uh, to make it as suitable as we mm -hmm. can for that. Um, but that that's only looking at the chemical aspects of it. And there certainly are a lot of other uh, important factors. Um, but as you say, there's sometimes it's, it's what the client wants to grow um, and not necessarily what, um, what would be the natural mm -hmm. vegetation, the native vegetation. Yeah. Um, anybody else want to pick up on that? Before anyone else kicks in, I will say this okay. too, and because there's such a lack of understanding, we've had so many customers come back to us after getting their analysis from the soil lab and say, I got, I got my analysis back. Can you tell me what this means? <laughs> because they, they don't know. They, 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 they started off at least knowing they needed to know the soil, but then really didn't know enough to even understand the analysis and where they needed to go. And, and perhaps this is a bigger question that we're going to lead into as we, we go along, but we'll start here. And if anyone wants to expand on what Stephanie said. Yeah, maybe um, just the way we look at soil on the farm is we really look at the soil microbiome. So not just the plant roots, but everything around it, that's a microbial population, um, which way outnumbers the, the plant cells themselves. Um, but we really look at it as the immune system of the plant. That's where nutrient exchange happens, but also um, we see a lot of other things happening to defend against pests, to defend against drought. Um, a lot of that interaction is actually help happening in this soil microbiome. So if you're looking at doing that with a crop, so obviously we're not putting all native species on our farm either. We have crop rotations going in. Um, but we do focus on what is the soil interaction with that plant and how can we help that plant be as healthy as possible so we don't have to add as much water, so we don't have to add as many nutrients, so we don't have to worry about pests because a lot of pests definitely prey on weaker plants. And then we do focus very much on perennials and native plants because those actually build up our soil and they create this, this mini ecosystem and we're growing healthier ones. I, I always feel like we got to take a step back and look at what we're building up. So I might be putting in an invasive species and building up its immune system and creating this really healthy plant that's then gonna multiply. And we do have a major issue in New Jersey with that. There's a lot of invasive species kind of taking over our forests and, and a lot of our, our what used to be kind of prairie type parts of um, different areas and we've lost a lot of those native species and we've also lost about 80% of our insect biomass so we're losing a lot of the pollinator habitat a lot of the native habitats and not only are the invasive plants kind of taking over but as well the invasive insects and they they typically are drawn first to those invasive plants that they're familiar with but then they end up wiping out our native species so I think it's all interconnected. We look definitely on what's going on in the soil. We're very careful about what crops we put in the ground to make sure if it's a quick rotation crop that's for farming that we control it, it stays in its, its uh, location we put it, but also we're creating lots of native space, spaces that support the farm, support the soil, but also the pollinator habitats around us. Awesome. And before we go to Ray, I, I will say I just had a discussion with someone on LinkedIn about invasives, and they were <laughs> saying that show me the proof that 
that Barbary is invasive. And, you know, it was, it was, it was just really funny. Comes look, one, use your eyes, go out into the forest <laughs> and you can see that it's invasive. But two, we do know that, that Barbary does change soil pH. It does have an adverse effect on, on mm -hmm. soil. So for what different from maybe what the native plants that should be there would like. So there is science behind it. It's just whether or not you want to open your eyes to, to the science behind it. Mm -hmm. But Right. Could you expand on on how important the soil is My for, gosh, for just all, for every day for everything? Well, shoot! After you, I listened to the two ladies. We're done. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was beautiful. One of the things that Stephanie, before we got on, she, she mentioned how incredible that soils become in discussion, and I, I just want to bounce on that real quick. One of the things. The biggest struggle that I have teaching thousands of people and going all over. I've been in every state, every state, two or three times from Puerto Rico and everywhere. And I've been among many, many producers. The issue is the soil is alive. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first thing we have to. It's a living, dynamic ecosystem. And 25% of all, all biodiversity, you imagine all the biodiversity comes from the soil. And here I went to graduate school for soils and didn't really realize that it's an incredible ecosystem in itself. And, and I make this statement, I had to, and I had to give the credit to somebody because you always learn from somebody else. And, and um, there was one night I was reading an incredible uh, research. I was reading a, a book and a, a, one of the uh, researchers said, the plant and soil are one. And I'm going, I come screaming out of my bedroom. And I tell my wife, oh my God, it's one. And, and she looks at me and says, I can't believe I married you. What's wrong with you? And, but what she was saying, what they were saying is no plant, no feeding soil biology. Those are so intimately connected. I, I think that the moment we separate that plant and take it away, you have no biology. You can't feed them. It's an intimate one. And I think that one of the things that, and coming back to what Jennifer was talking about is biomimicry, mimicking life, that architecture, so that our agroecosystems look so much like nature. You can't tell the difference. And it, and it takes years. And, and coming back to what you said, Fran, I'm a generalist. I'm beginning to realize I need to know a little bit about everything, yeah. and not be so truncated about one thing. And our schools have absolutely diminished us from doing that To We should all have all kinds of interface between all the departments and that segregation. Yeah. And it's kind of hurt us. That's why I love agroecology and biomimicry so much. So it kind of ties everything with Stephanie's talking about and Jennifer. So sorry it's so long-winded, but- No, not at all. I've, I've learned just enough enough about everything and all it's done is made me dangerous pretty <laughs> <laughs> it's army made me dangerous um ray we'll start with you on this one since you, we know how important a soil is i i think for our listeners i would for me the one of the next things i would start thinking is well what is a healthy soil do i have healthy soil and what what would you consider a healthy soil it's kind of like asking the, the question, what is a healthy human? Yeah, yeah. It is so complex. Look, I tell people, when you go to the doctor, he looks at many indicators that determine function. Function, like for example, 
You go to a doctor, he does a fecal, he does a urine, he does a blood sample, he does all the things. And the same thing that Stephanie does when she looks at, her, at, the, at the lab, you look at many indicators to determine health. And uh, some people use organic matter and some people get so caught up in just one parameter like organic matter. Yes. And I say, uh-uh, uh-uh. I look at all kinds of indicators to determine function. It is absolutely elegant, absolutely complex. So in every human being, and Jennifer brought up the biome. Now they find out this is the second, second brain, the biome. Exactly. Way more elegant than we imagined. But there's certain things that the body can do on an everyday basis that we determines life. Same thing with the soil. What are some of the ecosystem processes that it does? Nutrient cycling, water cycling, some of those basic things but it takes an elegance of complex biology to carry out that function. So yeah, that's the indicators. Yeah. And we, we've seen it here at the nursery. I brought the example before where we were trying a, a different substrate. Now this isn't with soil. This is a, a soilless media, but the pH was off and the whole thing didn't function just because one parameter was wrong. So yeah. <clears throat> that's a really, really great point to raise. Yeah. Does anyone want to expand on that? I will. Yes. Uh, I think it's a great point that it's, um, it's an ecological system, the, the whole thing. And the, and the plant's so important for that because that, that's the, our primary producer that's, that's fixing, uh, you know, sunlight and carbon dioxide into the food that the microbes in the soil rely on. Um, and, and so that's feeding the whole system essentially. Um, and that the ecology then that develops in that soil is uh, based on what plants you do have there. And, and so that's important. And, and the other thing that I uh, want to add there is that, um, yes, we, when we do a soil test, it's um, very often nutrients and pH. And, and that's all the information I have. Um, and, and I'll have uh, clients call and, and say, well, nothing seems to be wrong with, you know, with my soil. What, what's the problem? You know, I'm, I'm having a problem, but what is it? Um, there's so much more that it could be. It could be soil compaction. It could be, you know, lack of aeration. Uh, it could be too much water in that site. Um, there's, there's only so much I can tell from a sample that's sent in to me, uh, you know, taken out of the ground, away from the plant, away from that site. Um, and, um, you know, analyzed for, for uh, nutrients and pH, that doesn't tell me uh, everything that I would need to know to, uh, to help diagnose a problem. Um, but just that there's, there's so much else besides, besides what we can test there. Um, but organic matter is a, a, one of the key indicators. Um, but again, there are um, other aspects that as Ray said, there's, there's so many other factors that are important in determining, you know, what, how, how things function. And I, I think the average person is conditioned to modify or maintain their soils based on turf um, that you just know, Hey, come, fall i maybe i need to aerate i need to throw lime down whether you need lime or not people are thinking i need to lime i need to aerate i need to do all these things mm -hmm. and 
maybe they're managing it for the wrong thing or they're changing it for the wrong thing, but they're, they're not really thinking, do I need to maintain my soil and keep it healthy? Does a soil need to be maintained? Is there maintenance, just everyday maintenance for a soil that it needs to, to stay healthy? And um, I'll even add on to that. Is it what we think it is? Because uh, <laughs> yeah. expanding on what Fran was saying is I was even watching a YouTube video this morning just kind of just to see what they said about reseeding or uh, overseeding a lawn in the spring. And they're like, oh, well, you have to do this and then you have to put down fertilizer and you got to use this herbicide and you got to do this. But he's just the guy who was doing the video was just throwing out all this advice, but he doesn't know what each site looks like. He was just saying, oh, you have to fertilize at this time and you got to put down this weed killer at this time so you have a healthy lawn. But we've those already, conditions are different from place to place. And we've already so, established on, on numerous episodes yeah. of this podcast yeah. that that a lawn really has no beneficial <laughs> yeah, yeah. ecosystem functions. So we're well, not, you, you see the yeah. same thing in agriculture as well, where it's, Oh, Oh, this is the time I fertilize. And this is the time I got to do this. And this is the time I go do that. So I want to throw that in there yeah. before okay. you guys. Answer the okay. Question. Tom, you yeah. know, you, you know, my husband is the director of the center for turf grass science here, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe, well, maybe someone else should start, <laughs> start with that one then. I've got to say that um, lawns do have a, a function in the, in the built environment, our, our natural environment, and it does a good job of stabilizing soil. It does, um, you know, and it depends a little bit on, uh, it definitely on management, you know, mm -hmm. are, is, is it being, uh, you know, artificial, is it being irrigated? Is it being um, uh, fertilized and, uh, uh, treated with chemicals uh, every year or seasonally. Um, so there's a lot of different factors there as to um, what its uh, ecosystem is. Um, so I, I want you to not um, just, uh, uh, you know, disregard lawns yeah, as, that's, as that's artificial. Brand. You can get mad at brand. <laughs> and I, I want to say okay, that um, yeah. when uh, the older the lawn gets, uh, the more, uh, uh, re I don't want to say regenerative, but um, the more it is stable, it mm -hmm. creates its own ecosystem and it needs less inputs over time. Um, it it's sort of re reaches um, an equilibrium with minimum um, inputs over time. So, um, you know, initially it may need some, uh, so some inputs to maintain uh, it, the growth, but if we're recycling clippings, for example, mower mm -hmm. clippings and um, um, just not doing too much modification, it can be, um, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna get rid of, <laughs> we're not gonna get rid of all the lawns in, no, in, in the suburbs, right. okay? And yeah, New Jersey's be... a lot of suburbs. So we, we have to recognize they do have a place in our, society mm -hmm. you're right they're yeah. they're not going anywhere hopefully they get a little smaller over time but you're right they're not, <laughs> they're not yeah going back to the, like i guess the root of the question is how do we maintain our soils um whether it's lawn or agriculture or just for a, a garden or something like that so um if i can just jump in and i i think i want to tie it to something um ray has mentioned but even stephanie i mean i think it's about balance and i think it's changing all the time. And that's, I, I think we have the same issue with human health. We're trying to um, 
treat people the same with kind of standard protocols. And that's where I think the chemistry testing is important and the soil organic matter testing is important. You also got to look at your soil and observe it and see how alive it is. Or like I, I tell people when we do tours on our farm and things like that, I believe we started, I explain soil like a sponge. And I believe when we started, we had a conventional farm uh, that was mainly corn farming. And I kind of explain it, we, we had kind of a dried up sponge, if you've ever had a sponge sitting on your, you know, on your sink. And over time, by adding inputs and mainly mulch and um, compost and things like that, we slowly started adding, I guess, moisture and different things to build up that sponge to where it was a matrix. And now it has the capacity and we're nowhere near where we want to be, but you can tell there's so much more life in the soil. And we do send our soil samples to Stephanie's lab. So thank you. We appreciate what you do. Um, but we see that the soil is changing. Our nutrient profile doesn't change that much. We actually are in a great area in New Jersey. We have incredible soil potential. Um, our organic matter was very low, but we've been able to build that up. Um, but the, the point is we have this sponge that has the capability to retain water. We have this capability to sequester carbon. And also when it's a healthy matrix, you can build up better di biodiversity of the organisms that then live in that sponge. So I think it's all about you should nurture the soil and it's something that's constantly changing every single year on our farm. We need to look at it like it's an entirely different building ecosystem because it's changing constantly. And what we saw three years ago on our farm is nothing like what we see today. So the one like shotgun approach to just throw lime on the soil, I actually think could wreak havoc because maybe your soil has regenerated enough that it doesn't need those things. I actually think now when we add inputs, like Stephanie said, whether it's a lawn or your home garden with vegetables, it's about finding a balance and to me, that's our top priority is how do we get this to an equilibrium where it's working as a symbiotic relationship, this, this mini ecosystem. And it's just like human health. We, you know, can't treat everyone the same. And usually it requires some level of maintenance to be putting healthy inputs for us. A lot of that is organic matter, compost, um, a lot of regenerative practices with um, livestock is, you know, bringing those ruminant animals that are also bringing microbes into the soil, but also a lot of additional manure, which can act as compost. So, um, I mean, we do a lot of different things. I, I sympathize with Stephanie about the lawns. I kind of look at lawns a little bit like cover crops. They're at least protecting the soil from yeah. wind, rain, UV damage. They're very much, I say, it's like your skin. You need to protect it. It should be covered. If you look at everywhere pretty much in the world other than where we have desertification, the ground is covered. And mm -hmm. there is a reason for that. Mother Nature will naturally cover the surface as quickly as she can. Um, so that's one of the practices we use on the farm is we keep things as covered as, as often as possible, even in the middle of winter. See, and I know I know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> See, I told you. Um, I'm, I'm, I was going to... Real quick, Tom to yeah. what Jennifer was saying is definitely look, one of the biggest things to understanding the soil or even healing soil is you have to shift the way you look at soil. The biggest issue is the way we think and how the hardest surface is not the soil or compacted, it's between the years. It's about ecological approach or being and farming within your ecological context. Case in point, 
Stephanie just brought out about some of the benefits of, of, of the grasses, of the lawns, depending on your ecological context. I have a problem with lawns growing up in the West where Phoenix, where you're pumping water in, in a very mm -hmm. limited resource and they're running out of water. My home state of New Mexico is running out of water. They should be native plants. Why are we having... So it's all about ecological context of where you have it. And, 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 and Stephanie brought out that, you know, those living plants are, you know, aggregation, infiltration, but I've seen lawns that are not infiltrating and that's, uh, are not even bringing in because they mow too short. My, I have three acres of lawn in Missouri. I have 48 inches of rain. I run sheep on my lawn. Hmm. I have sheep all over. So I decided to fence it. I'm not going to run uh, here, you know, about ancient sunlight. We're using fertilizer, one of the most energy intense uh, thing you can do is apply fertilizer and it takes copious amounts of carbon to make natural gas to make fertilizer and it's a salt and preferably that the soil ecosystem doesn't want that salt it prefers manure and urine and so I, and if i do mow i mow tall mm -hmm. don't mow it short you know it, you, you can manage that ecosystem and if you let that grass get tall I can let pollinators be able to maximize on that lawn. But here's our problem. We love linearity. We love monocle. We love the way that grass looks nice and short. We have a love affair with that. And I'm telling you, the biggest struggle I had, and Jennifer touched upon this, the biggest struggle I had for a long time was an agronomist. Weeds. Weeds, weeds, weeds. Oh my God, you're judged by weeds. Can you imagine if you don't mow your grass at, in, the, in the subdivision, you're going to be judged as a lazy, pathetic loser. And, and that's and, and the social issues are brutal. I think we need to understand that, that we, I think our ecosystems could be better managed and look different, but they may not look appealing for the majority of the people around us. So, and, and for the benefit of the soil, it's going to be totally different. So I have issues with lawns, especially in the areas in the West. We have to remember those things are pumped irrigation. We're running out of water. And so we have to kind of look at things in context. And that's what we're trying to do by having these conversations is at least have the conversation, have it out there. So, Ray, I want to kind of change, like expand on what Jennifer was saying about how the soils are constantly changing and maybe take it in this direction over the last 50 years just with human impact how have our natural soils changed i'm going to make it a, a two-part yeah. knowing that they changed is it ethically um correct to modify natural soils for your own for for what you're trying to accomplish so have we changed soils and 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 how how we changed them ethically should that is that something that we should be doing well, let me tell you, friend, I think what frustrates me is my journey that I've learned is that ecologists leave humans out and economists leave the ecology out. We're part of that. My gosh, we're part of that system. Here's the issue. Uh, I just, two years ago, I just got back from Chihuahua, Mexico, guys, and I got to see the desert become turned back into a prairie. When you have the right ecological approach and you're taught holistic science, those ranchers brought that bare soil and brought the desert back into prairie. It, th what I'm saying to you, we can heal. The problem right now is we have way too much bare soil globally. Mm -hmm. 
and and uh, we just have too much bare ground, which has altered the 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 small water cycles. People don't understand the small water cycles. Forty percent of our rain comes from living plants, inland. Sixty percent comes from the ocean. New Mexico was a prairie. A majority, if you drive through it now, you'll start crying. California, Nevada, Arizona was a prairie covered with grasses. It's a desert now. So what's the issue? Comes back to this one thing. We never understood relationship with the natural system. I come from part of the tribes of the Anasazi tribes in New Mexico. They also, if you watch the, the documentary Collapse, they took too much. It was a once a pine forest. Make the city too big, had drought. Now it's a desert, ruined it. But see, it, the, the problem is, back friend, we're the problem. It's how we look. It's about relationship, about the natural system. And I never understood that. So I think that's a big thing. It, it's about the balance. You need the water. You need the native plants. You need the soil. We yeah. tend to tip yeah. those balances in our favor. We're, we've evolved to be too smart. <laughs> and that was when we had Dr. Enrique Sal on. That was his his biggest complaint is we've learned to cheat. We've learned to tap <laughs> fossil fuels. We've learned to, to cheat the system along the way and we keep tipping the scales in our balance, but at what cost? Yeah. Exactly. And I think um, the, the um, question of society and, and the economists is, is a good point because here in New Jersey, um, you know, we have, we're, we're almost built out in terms of development uh, and, um, and keep in mind here in New Jersey, our native uh, vegetation was forest. Um, and, and so things are a little different here. We have a lot of rainfall um, relative to many parts of the country, um, but we also have huge population. Mm -hmm. And we, as you said, we've learned we're too smart. We, we know how to manipulate the soil. We have uh, hydraulic equipment that can, uh, you know, drastically change our, our landscape. Mm -hmm. And and in doing that and in building, uh, we've um, done a lot of damage to the soil, even in those places where we're not growing or not building, uh, you know, those lawn areas, for example. Um, the subsoils are severely compacted by the development process. And um, that limits, um, you know, their functioning mm -hmm. In, in, this, uh, in this state, well, wherever development is. So yes, I, I agree, we, we manipulate too much. We're, we're too smart <laughs> in a sense. Well, I, I take it back though um, to what you said, Fran, is, is I think we know enough to be dangerous. I, I cringe a little bit to say we're too smart. <laughs> <laughs> Only because, you know, I, I was reading an article about the Earth Microbiome Project. And, you know, we started with the Human Genome Project and then it moved into the Gut Microbiome Project because the Human Genome Project opened up our eyes to just this massive microbiome and realizing we have more cells that are non-human than human. And so then they started digging into the gut microbiome and the healthcare breakthroughs that have come out of that have been just astounding. And we realized we knew so little about the body and its symbiotic relationship with all these, these microorganisms. And then they start the Earth Microbiome Project and they estimate we understand and know about one times 10 to the minus 22 power percent about wow. the DNA on our earth. So 
I think that we actually, part of our challenge is we think we know some of these things and we actually don't know much about them at all. And I think there's so many interconnected pieces that we may never, at least in our lifetime, even fully understand. So that's where I think it's important to take a step back and be like, I don't know everything about this. And I'll tell you on our farm, as it's coming more to life, it sends us curveballs every single year. And I'll talk to organic farmers that have been essentially, even though it's kind of a new, it's being revived, regenerative farming, there's farmers that have been doing this. I mean, it's actually the original inhabitants in North America were doing regenerative farming. If you look in every longevity region in the world where people live past 100, they're doing regenerative farming as their standard practice. Um, so it's not entirely new, but if you talk to folks that have been doing this for a long time, they will tell you every year is a completely different experience and they're they, they really feel like they don't know anything because it's a new challenge and they're having to learn how to work with mother nature than to try to control mother nature. And I struggled with that myself. I mean, it was funny listening to Ray talk about how we love like things being super organized, perfect rows, no weeds. And it's a challenge to let that go on a regenerative organic farm because that's what you've been taught. That's what it looks like. And you have tours and people come on and they're like, oh, well, you know, why are those crops left in the ground? And it kind of looks messy. And why do you have all these leaves everywhere? You know, because New Jersey, I will say the one thing that I, I can't, I've lived in Germany, Switzerland, um, California, Alaska. And when I moved to New Jersey, I, the one thing that drove me crazy is everyone rakes up their leaves, puts it in bags and throws it away. Yeah. And I'm like, our farm, we get so many leaves because I'm just like, bring them here, <laughs> bring, bring me your trash. Um, and that's why you're having to put chemical inputs on your, on your grass because you should just be mowing those under and, and actually using the natural inputs. But anyway, that's, that's my one pet peeve in New Jersey. I mean, we, we talk leave about the leaves alone. <laughs> we, we talk about that all the time with taking up leaves or not cutting your plants back because mm -hmm. they're hosts for so many insects. We're so, you know, sometimes you have all the facts in front of you, but you don't really know how to analyze it. You can go in a, a couple different directions and you want to get rid of some insects and you end up getting rid of all the insects mm -hmm. and throwing again at balance. We, we need in without insects we're we're no longer existing. You know, that's another part of the equation, but I wanted to throw this out there and that we've kind of already answered it. So I'll, I'll take what I think a, another issue is I was going to ask what the biggest enemies of soil health are. And I think we've already established that we are, <laughs> that humans are, um, but, and Jennifer mentioned chemicals, how, you know, and, and there's been a rise to this and, and what we understand, you know, every year there's chemicals taken off the market that were deemed okay just two or three years ago. It just keeps changing in our understanding. How damaging are chemicals? How much, how much damage have we done just since we've started implementing that? I have a comment to that, if it's okay. I'll yeah, please. If I can jump in real quick on that because- I had to deal with that on large scales, a lot of producers all over the country. And we're trying, one of the things we're trying to do is reduce the inputs. It's kind of, and the, and the fact of this is based on, we're trying to infuse agroecology into mm -hmm. more of the system. So in other words, uh, and, and I think sometimes I, I deal with a lot of organic producers and I deal with a lot of no-tillers and I deal with conventional. And what I've noticed is that we, we throw, we, it's like two, if you imagine two ranchers are throwing cow turds across each other uh, in the fence and they're just throwing turds at each other. And when they realize 
that they're arguing about tools and not about understanding. Let me, let me make this very clear. When I talk about acute stress and chronic stress, the, the natural ecosystem can handle an acute tillage. It can maybe even handle an acute herbicide that I don't like. That's an acute stress. Our, our, our human body's the same way. If you eat fast food every day, chronic stress, you're going to get sick. Well, the natural ecosystem is the same way. We got to remember that most of our soils were destroyed before 1935. That was an organic system. There was no chemicals at all. Mm -hmm. Most of the planet was already, it was already blowing just with tillage. And we were destroying our soils just with tillage. Constant chronic stress of that tool. So we kept blaming tools. And the real problem is it's us. So what I tell people, do I like Roundup? No. Do I like tillage? And, and no. But keep in mind just recent research that if you look at Chernobyl, they found a recent fungus that eats radiation in that, that's actually eating radiation. Our ecosystem can handle all kinds of toxins, but it cannot handle chronic stress. So that's why I tell people I have more hope for Chernobyl to heal than our agriculture fields because mm -hmm. we're always beating up with tillage and chemicals, poor rotation, chronic stress. So I, I think let's put the real issue is, is it really the tools? And just last one statement. When you are, um, look, I do not, I'm not a big fan of the current medical system. I'm not. But if I'm got a plugged up heart, my gosh, they're awesome. They can go in there. Sometimes you have to use invasive tools like a tillage event or chemicals to save the patient. And then I back them off all those chemicals because nature really wants to be approached ecologically and biologically first. That's the goal. Not with your chemistry and your physics. She doesn't prefer that. So it's just about approach, I think, and really understanding what you're dealing with. Wow. That's yeah. a very good point. I Thanks, Ray. That's great. I, I know we're getting close on we're we're probably down to our last 10 minutes. So I yeah. thought I'd maybe wrap it up with I, with this. Go okay. ahead. No, go ahead, I, Tom. I was gonna say just whether it's a our listener wants to to start a garden, they want to they're a farmer and they want to do something, or um I guess they just want to do some planting, they're planting native plants, whatever it is. What are your I guess your general recommendations to to start with? I guess get a soil test. Um, and then where do they go from there? Who's who are you going to ask that one first to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I can pick blindly. Uh, it really, it's whoever wants to answer is, is fine. Because I think all of us have some ideas and I think maybe all of us are sure some quick ideas, but let me tell you yeah. what, guys, <clears throat> let me give you an example of my garden. My garden's wood chips, no till. I killed all my grass, didn't till it. I used to till. Remember, let's be honest what I used to. I was a crack dealer. Chemical fertilizer, agronomist, till. I, that's what I did. I'm more of an ecological person now. My approach is ecological. So I use wood chips. I use those precious leaves that Jennifer was talking, carbon, food. I use my whole goal is to change the soil biota to make it more fungal. So mm -hmm. I use carbon substrates. I want more fungal because weeds are bacteria. They love bacteria, dominant nitrate filled compacted systems. They're healers. So I know how to approach them now. 
So when I start off a garden, I want not just a, a, something from Je a Stephanie in her lab. I want the chemical and physical, but I want the biology. I want to know how much active mm -hmm. carbon. I want to know how much organic. How, what's the respiration? I look at all. What's the PLFA, phospholipid fatty acids? I want a whole array knowing where my soil is at biologically because biochemistry drives inorganic chemistry. I think that's important to understand. It's microbes and plants, what Stephanie was talking about. Biochemistry drives inorganic chemistry. They can modify pH. So before I, it's all about my context first. Where am I in the planet? Where in the world are you doing your garden? Yeah. It's going to be different in New Mexico versus New Jersey. I want to tell you, it's drier, hotter. So it's, it's about context. Mm -hmm. And even on a site by site basis with say within New yeah. Jersey, again, you have to understand what that site is like. Is there compaction? Is there good drainage or poor drainage? And is it a slope or, you know, so um, there's, there's so much um, on-site um, evaluation uh, that needs to be done as well. But, but certainly um, that e ecological uh, perspective and um, establishing a, a, I was gonna say stable, but uh, as Jennifer said, constantly changing uh, soil system, ecosystem um, is really important um, and, and just sustaining and, and uh, feeding, I guess, uh, promoting that ecological aspect, really important. And just before Jennifer say something real quick, the shovel, oh my gosh, a shovel. Dig into the soil, go dig into your native, go look at your forest. You know, the first thing I do with farmers, farmers tell me I'm a good farmer. I said, really? Let's find out. I walk right to the edge of the forest area with the grass. I said, look, dark, nice smell. I could smell the <laughs> gizman, the actinobacteria. Look at the aggregation cottage cheese. And I look at your garden. Oh, it's pale, no aggregation, look compacted. You're not as good as you think you are. So compare contrast. The shovel is communication. You know how very few farmers actually use a shovel? Yeah. They don't even have a relationship with it. There's no relationship or understanding of soil function. Yeah. And I'm talking to some of the most awesome producers. No, they have very little understanding of how soils function. Wow. Just a shovel, guys, is a huge thing. But it takes, so, and I think Stephanie and Jennifer, you can listen to them. They understand. It takes a basic fundamental understanding to know what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So it's a shovel, my gosh, it was very critical. <laughs> Jennifer, you want to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I kind of on our farm, we try to understand um, where where things are going. And I always joke that we just need to get out of Mother Nature's way because we're the ones standing in the way of regeneration because the regenerative abilities of, you know, bacteria, plants, They've been on the planet, well, bacteria at least, you know, what, 3.5 billion years longer than us. Um, I absolutely, without a doubt, know that they will outlast us. <laughs> um, and so I think that part of it is just setting up the right environment for, for it to flourish. And sometimes that means just really getting out of the way. Um, there are a few things we do, though, that I, I think for home gardeners could be beneficial is we do really look at native perennials. 
Um, and just as one example, we have our, our farm split up into plots and we've started putting more riparian ridges, a little bit more um, fluid lines instead of everything being hard cut lines because that's not how nature works. Um, it's great for mechanization, but it's, it's um, not really how, how nature loves it to be. Um, but we've also, we've really focused on the native plants. That's why, I mean, you know, we're coming to pick up plants yeah. today. Um, just because the one plot that we didn't have a hedgerow on the end with native plants, we immediately had way more pest pressure this year. And it's the only one we didn't get to. Um, we just see huge benefits for erosion, for um, water absorption. The root systems typically of perennials are much deeper. Um, so it, it really helps us build these kind of, I would say, anchors on our farm. And it can be done on a very small scale. Like even I have raised beds at my home, even though it's only five minutes down the street from the farm. And I always anchor my beds with some perennials. And Part of that is for pollinator habitats because, I mean, we're talking today about the soil, but there is a massive crisis with insect biomass as well. Right. It's similar. We just see that more and we don't see what's below our, our feet as much. But um, I do think it's important to know your area, know what will thrive in your area and what can kind of um, accelerate that regeneration and look at what natural inputs are in your environment. Like, um, like Ray said, he knows what's going to thrive in his environment if it's wood chips and leaf litter. I know in New Jersey that's in huge abundance, but we also have tons of rain. So I know certain things will thrive different in, in my environment. But I think natives are key to know what was what was originally in that soil that will thrive, like the areas of desertification. As we start to reintroduce that and get out of the way of Mother Nature and allow her to have the right um, as we might say tools to just start that process. And we've seen on our farm, once you get that ball rolling, it kind of is a beast of its own. And again, you kind of get out of the way and have to not fight it. Cause I think our tendency is to have structure and control and to try to control it. And for me, the biggest thing is we have to have a different mindset, look at it as a living growing thing, an mm -hmm. ecosystem Mm -hmm. and just get out of the way and provide the right inputs and not try to control it too much. Yeah, we have to be a balanced part, not mm -hmm. control it. We have to be a part <laughs> of the system. So I, I want to wrap it up with a question, and then we can go to final thoughts because I know we're running yeah. close. So we, we've really established that some of the main factors of damaging our soil are humans, tillage, uh, chemicals, invasives. There's so many things that we talked about. So we've established that. We kind of understand that. Now we, we need to move forward. We need to get better and, and, and go better. Have, have we done too much damage already to our soils? Can, can we get back to where we need to be or, or, or is it too late? So, so if uh, I can also, go ahead. You go first. I just, I'll have a short answer. I, I do think we have to start. I absolutely believe, as I mentioned, that mother nature can completely regenerate. It's not too late in my opinion. I think we can absolutely do it. I do think we need some major changes in our approach to agriculture and even our funding in agriculture. Um, if I talk to a farmer and, and Ray brought this up earlier, like we can't all be at war of each other is what I'm doing is better than you. And you're just this conventional farmer. Like these people have been feeding our country for generation after generation and they're doing what they've been taught to do and if you look at the average farm they're massively in debt they're not just raking in the dough like our farmers are 
some of the hardest working individuals in this country. It's one of the highest suicide professions in the world, mm -hmm. especially in the US. It's stressful, it's really hard. We get a lot of curveballs. Mother nature is not happy. We see a lot of climate change. Um, and I think we gotta support that better. And we're not, our farmers are suffering. And if you look at a conventional farmer, they're not trying to destroy their, their land. They love their land. They are so stressed that they're gonna be the generation that loses their family farm and nobody is helping them. We have the lowest cost or, or we spend the least on food of any country in the world. We spend the most on healthcare. We have it wrong. And if we don't start to fix some of those structural aspects, we're never gonna hit the volume that we need to really start making an impact. And I think there's a lot of things we can do I love carbon credits and things that are starting to come to the surface where not necessarily companies that are destructive, but companies start paying a price for what it's going to take to turn this around. And carbon credits can put some financial fuel behind that and regulation and things like that. I'm not saying farmers should wait for that, but if you look at the pressure they're under, if we don't start lifting them up and supporting them in the right ways, why would they change? I mean, for our farm, it took four years to hit even a slight level of equilibrium. It's painful to go through that process. Like Ray said, weeds are part of the, the solution and part of the process you have to go through, but it's really painful. And if I'm a conventional farmer and I have two years of low yield, who's gonna, and I'm already in debt, who, who's gonna do that? Yeah. So, so that's something I feel we really have to all take a piece of and own and say, what can we do different and look at our farmers in a different way and farm labor, because um, it's got to change. And COVID actually sent the entire industry into a huge tumultuous like process because we are, have a shortage of labor. Um, we have a lot of people that just don't want to farm. We have an emergence of a young generation that's actually very eager and interested in farming, but they don't necessarily know how. So it's just, we really got to look at and take a step back. How can we set up farmers to be successful, to make money, maybe more money, because I've seen regenerative farms actually do better after they've gone through that process. But I just think if we don't fix some of those things, that's going to be our barrier. We got to get out of our own way. I don't think mother nature is the problem at all. <laughs> She'll do her thing. Um, we got to figure out how we can set up our systems and processes to, to do it the right way and to support farmers. Awesome. Jennifer, I gave you a big virtual hug. That was <laughs> yes, uh, Jennifer's right. When we started this movie in the Kiss the Ground, when this movie was done seven years ago, um, it was done seven years ago, folks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it just came out now. And luckily, I wasn't working for NRCS at the time. I mean, when it came out, because I would have been severely reprimanded, probably okay. for the movie. And the reason for that is it's about the control of the chemical industry. Everybody's got their own vested industry interest to the, for the producer. I, and Jennifer eloquently said this, look, and I'm gonna bring it in a different way. I, I look at this, the farmer is this poor beast that can absolutely infested with parasites. Everybody's trying to make money on that poor producer. He's barely surviving. He, he's anemic, it's, it's almost about ready to go down chemicals, fertilizer, and, he, and the same thing in the organic realm, they're selling, and, and then what's led that poor deprivation of that poor, our farming is our ignorance, our arrogance, and a lack of understanding on, and, and, the, and the farmer doesn't have a really un, good understanding of how that system works. 
and myself included, I speak in humility. And so we built this whole, all of us as a collective built this industry and, and it just went this way. And, and to sit there and throw rocks, how we landed up, it, it doesn't matter. And just what Jennifer was saying, look, can we heal this? Absolutely quickly. I think the natural system is so encouraging. And one of the things I just want to leave uh, um, at the, about the movie, I said, look, Gabe Brown and I said, if this movie is going to be an, another environmental movie that's going to be negative and, let, and, and, and give people no hope and you shut them down, we don't want to be part of it. Yeah. The other thing we told Josh Tickle, I said, Josh, you give animals the glory they deserve for being part of the system and healing. You can't support actual healthy native plants without living grazing animal. Yep. They're designed in synchrony. And I said, if you're gonna just do that, I said, we don't wanna be part of the movie. But guess what they did? The last version gave hope and it gave glory to the animals. Mm -hmm. And just what Jennifer said, one final statement, look, the blessing of the COVID-19 has been this, a redistribution of, of the human population. Mm -hmm more people going into rural America. You cannot buy a, here in Missouri now land, a house with land. We, our farms are too big and we need an animal and human distribution prop. Uh, a, we need distribution of humans and animals onto the landscape. I know it's, you know, if you look at the negative aspect, but it really showed our weakness of our food system, right, Jennifer? We only have two or three days of food in the shelf. We saw empty shelves at Walmart freaked people out well guess what we need to be freaked out our system is not resilient so uh, and i've said enough but thank you for jennifer and stephanie for bringing some of these things out because this is where we're at guys our system is very weak it's not resilient and we need to fix it and it can be healed very quickly stephanie would you like to add to that sorry yes and uh, i again I, also i will Thank Jennifer for pointing out um, these issues about the farmers. I, um, with some of the previous documentaries that have been done, I really um, went away with a feeling of why are they beating up on the farmers, um, you know, um, from the past that were doing things that, <laughs> that perhaps Cooperative Extension was advising them to do. And, and then RCS. <laughs> and NRCS, okay, you know, because, and, and there the focus was on, and they were getting results, they were producing more food, and they were feeding us for, for relatively cheap, so, you know, there, there was that side of it, they saw success in that way, um, but as Ray said, it, it was a chronic problem that with that type of management, and, and some of these problems, we don't see immediately, we don't realize the, uh, you know, from one year to the next, the damage that we've done, it's only after so much time that we, we see the um, consequences. You know, it's something I teach in my classes. You know, um, a lot of times you don't see these ecological effects till, till a long time. Just think about, you know, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. How long did it take us to, to realize what burning fossil fuels did? Um, so, um, I really appreciate um, what Jennifer said about supporting the farmers and the, the need for um, supporting them and changing the way we do agriculture. 
Um, and uh, uh, along those lines, I want to point out that um, Rutgers Cooperative Extension does have a program uh, for beginning farmers. If there are young, well, could be young or old, anybody uh, that's interested in uh, starting farming, there is a program to help them get started. Um, and um, I believe also our NOFA New Jersey, Northeast Organic Farming Association uh, chapter in New Jersey also has a program to help uh, people that um, are interested in beginning farming. So um, hopefully we will get um, some uh, new young energetic people um, <laughs> interested in uh, doing things in a more ecological manner. Um, interested in agriculture and, and helping to improve uh, production as well as regenerating our soil. Awesome. So we, we always kind of wrap this up. We, we allow everyone to have a final thought. We, we give you the floor for just a minute. Uh, you can promote something. You can tie something together. You can bring up something we haven't mentioned. Uh, however you want to use it, we, even Tom and I will, will, will give a final thought. So I, I thought we can go around. If you also want to throw in, because I know we're limited on time, your favorite native plant also, as we do it, if you have one, uh, we would love to hear that. Stephanie, let's start with you. Oh, my favorite native plant, Eastern red bud. Mm, Bloom, nice. Blooming right now. I love it. <laughs> um, I just want to, um, again, thinking about the um, general public uh, backyard gardener, um, I want to mention that um, I have a, a new fact sheet uh, published through Rutgers Cooperative Extension, uh, fact sheet 1328, which is soil for raised beds. Uh, and it points out the fact that um, uh, soil is more than just organic matter. <laughs> um, because, you know, and, and when you think about native soils that, you know, that seems obvious, um, but a lot of times, um, new gardeners will create their gardening beds with uh, straight organic matter, you know? And um, so one of the things you had asked, um, what, what are the common misconceptions or myths about soil? Um, and so I had thought about, you know, that the mineral component of soil is, is an important part of the soil. And, you know, that's, that's the main base of, of plants in, in most of our uh, landscape. There are exceptions like in wetlands and that's where you get those organic soils, but most plants are not uh, designed to grow in that type of soil. So um, I just will say the mineral component of soil is, is essential. Um, but that being said, um, soil is um, more than just dirt. <laughs> awesome okay. jennifer let's you. let's let's go to you next okay um favorite plant i'm going to give two because i usually always plant them in combination i love um echinacea and yarrow we use those on a lot of hedgerows um just because they're to me a, a just incredible plant because a lot of invasive species hate them and so it detracts a lot of those for, from an organic farm but a lot of the pollinators love them so mm -hmm. um, and they grow very prolific so I can divide them and put them in different spaces and start to kind of combat the invasive species on our farm. Um, I do love red buds as well. We're actually planting 10 of those um, in the next two weeks on the farm so awesome. yeah I mean 
I just, yeah, we, we do a lot of diverse um, native species, but those two are just easy for me to, to um, utilize on the farm, the yarrow and echinacea. Um, I guess my last uh, thing that I would just want to share is obviously I started a second company, Nutrition for Longevity, to focus on the health aspects of our food. Um, I personally believe there's an absolute interconnectedness. We, we talked about this ecosystem below the soil and with the plant, but there's also a connection with humans and plants and we've lost our connectivity to that completely. And it is impacting, I believe, 100% our human health. Um, like I mentioned, we spend the most on healthcare of any country in the world per capita. We spend the least on food. Um, and I think we need to start looking at how, again, we don't understand a lot of the connections yet, but how does our human health, our human gut microbiome, how is it actually impacted by these plants and how we grow them? And you know, if the soil is healthy and has the proper nutrient exchange, do we have more nutrient dense crops? Do we have better phytonutrients in our superfoods um, that can feed our gut microbiome? So I think that, and, and less monocrops and, and more diversity as well, so we can get um, a balanced nutrition in our diet. So that's just something to me that's important for people to understand. And when we look at centenarian regions, so, so areas of the world with a high concentration of people that live past hundred, we see that for one, so on the flip side of farmers, there is one uh, positive thing. A good majority of centenarians are either um, shepherds or farmers. So, so maybe there's a plus side to that. <laughs> um, they're really hardworking. They stay very active. Um, and usually, again, if they're growing healthy food, they're also consuming that. Um, but they use regenerative practices and they really do look at their soil as an ecosystem um, in, in every region that we explored. So I think that's just important to look at this, not just for planetary health, but it is impacting our human health as well. So if that's not enough of an incentive, I'm not sure what is. Well, I, I had read, read, did I say reading? Yeah, I had read <laughs> some of the reports on the human gut biomes and it was, it, it just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Like some of the reports saying how much less you would have to eat to maintain the same weight as someone from 1980. As today, it was just some of the research. I was completely blown away, and and that's a great point, Ray. Final thoughts and favorite native plant. Uh, I I love all of them. I can't get <laughs> me down to one because everyone has its purpose. Everyone leaks different exudates. Yeah. Everyone serves a function. But I got to tell you, uh, we have uh, native chicory here. It's just absolutely beautiful oh. because pollinators. And Jennifer brought up that my gosh, we're having problems with insects. And I think that we really need to jump on that because why are we losing so many insects? And a lot of people don't realize that 70 to 80%, according to Dr. Jonathan Lundgren, insects make the, continue their life cycle in the top two or three inches of that soil. So that matrix is incredibly important. I, I, I always leave these people, I, I, this is kind of one of the thoughts I tell people. I said, look, soil without plants, and so microbiology and, and then microbes biology is just geology. And we need that matrix. Please, I'm not diminishing what Stephanie's saying. She's right. Why do you think the plants make that association? They need that phosphorus, that zinc, but they're the drivers. And, and that's the beauty about it is, let's be honest. We don't have to fly to, we don't have to go all the way to Mars we're doing a good job of creating Mars here by making a barren uh, uh, planet. The bottom line is life. 
have a reverence and respect for it. And, and that's not what we have been taught. And at least for myself, I don't, I'm not going to put uh, a blanket statement for uh, everybody else, but I didn't understand the power of life. Every time you use a plant, every time you use an animal, every time you use an insect, it's them that keeps this planet from being Mars. It's just as simple as that life. And so every time we use a living plant or anything, and I'll leave you with this last thought. This is why when we do now, and I think Jennifer would appreciate this every time now, when we used to do range seeding, we used to till it, disc it, hoping that we could stimulate. Now I use annuals. I use annual plants to pump carbon, make it more fungal so that when I use my natives, oh my gosh, it's already more fungal. We have a better establishment, less weeds. Total different approach. See how the, the approach was? I use the annuals as surrogates, let them graze it, let them urinate, bring ecological memory, then they're ready for the prairie grasses. You see the different approach? That's not in our specs when I was in NRCS. <laughs> let's miss the ground. Let's work it wrong. Now I use animals and the, and the annuals to stimulate that, that those microbes. And then you got a great establishment of natives. It's really just about how you approach that system. So it's all approach. Very wow, cool. That's awesome. Tom, yeah. would, you, would you like to go? Yeah, would you I, like I to can go? go. So basically this is kind of hinging off of, something Ray said and what Jennifer said. Um, but I've, and I've referenced this before, but one of the things I always found fascinating is with uh, like white bread, how we bleach the flour and then we just, all the nutrients that you just stripped out, we add them in at the end in, in the synthetic fashion when they're all, they were all there to begin with. Yeah. And um, we're just really good as Americans and probably just as humans at uh, solving problems, but there are problems that we caused and we're instead of, just addressing the problem we caused, we're throwing a solution at the end. And it's kind of the same thing with our soil. And that's, uh, it's a culture shift. It's something that uh, should happen. I, and Ray, I don't want to uh, misquote you, but I think my dad told me that you'd said this was uh, if we switched from conventional farming to just like no till farming, it would take a huge bite into climate change. Um, is that something, is that true? <laughs> or, or am well, I saying the wrong? Well, wrong it was like, there? if we would farm bringing the plants, see, no-till by itself was never mm -hmm. the answer. It just protects the house. And mm -hmm. we forgot the most important thing, a living plant. Oh my gosh, it changes everything. So yes, in synchrony together, we would heal the, uh, we would heal the planet very quickly. Mm -hmm. I really believe yeah. that. Awesome. So yeah, we're, we're very, well, I guess my the summation of my point is we're very good at addressing the issue with like, like Ray said, with you go to the doctor and you can have surgeries and medicine and all the stuff when you could address it up front by just eating a better diet and exercising more. Yeah. It's the same thing with the land. We're, yeah. we're fixing it at the end with quick fixes. And sometimes those are necessary fixes, but you can address it up front as well. So my, my final thought will be very quick. So a, a lot of the episodes when we have guests on tend to focus on the issues and the problems that we have in our ecosystem and our environment. But there's been one common theme across all of them is – and that's it's never too late. So it's mm -hmm. really easy, and I know Ray had said that like it's really easy to focus on the negatives, but it's not really about the negatives. It's about understanding the problems and knowing how to move forward, and, and we find that it's in – 
every issue that we've talked about that it's not too late that we can fix these things we just have to make those steps identify what the issue is and move move forward so hopefully uh everyone after listening to this has uh, picked up a lot of things that they can do in their own properties, their own yards, uh, different practices or different things. And we can we can all do little things and, and hopefully move forward and, and start to fix mm-hmm. this problem. Yeah. So. so with that, we are wrapped up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'd enjoyed listening to our rooted discussion. Uh, for more information, visit the Native Plants Healthy Planet website for all the links that we're going to include from all of our great guests today. Um, thank you again, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. We're going to give a huge thank you to RJ Comer for contributing our theme music to Rooted Discussions. Make sure you listen uh, to RJ's music or download it at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, you can call our question and comment line at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question, leave a comment. Uh, if we pick your question or comment, we will play it and answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. We've been getting a ton of calls lately, and we appreciate that. Uh, let's not forget our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. We added like 20 members just this mm-hmm. weekend, so it, it just keeps growing. The conversations have been getting great. Everyone's been respectful, which I appreciate. Uh, we have to grow that grow that circle and and be all inclusive. So let's keep this conversation going over there. Yeah, uh, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www. How many W's is it? Three, Three W's. Three. <laughs> <laughs> www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us check us out on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, really wherever you All consume your podcasts. Um, when you're there, do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe, share this with a friend. That really, really helps spread this message. Uh, one new thing is we've been talking about uh, creating a Native Plant Healthy Planet shirt t-shirt merch sticker line something along the line so let us know what you think about that maybe we'll Um, get start a poll in the facebook group and see what people think i think that would be great but yeah so that's uh the one new thing for the ending so with that thank you everyone i'm tom and i am fran i learned a ton today i want to give a huge thank you to all of our guests thank you for spending your time i know we ran a little bit later than we we wanted to but we're going to wrap it up uh thank you everyone we have a, a new episode of the buzz coming up next week we didn't really determine a subject but i'm thinking we have some housekeeping to do oh, it yeah. can just be we yeah. can we can tie up a bunch of loose ends on the next one so <laughs> yeah, exactly uh so we have that coming for you we hope you enjoyed this one until we'll see you next time until then keep it native Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.